0: Tonight, we're going to kind of run into calling and love sharing my idols with you, and that's where we're going tonight. Um, I still remember hanging up the phone after talking with a pastor. Um, I, was, I was looking for a call at a, at a church. I think I was still in seminary. And I heard this guy in my parents' hometown was looking for for a pastor, so I called him and we're talking. And maybe you've heard this, maybe when you've interviewed for a job before, whether you're a staff member or whether you're uh, the head person in the ministry that you're with, but you've heard something along the lines of this: We are looking for somebody who can take us to the next level. Everybody is looking for that next level youth pastor or youth worker. Right, you're going to be the one who's going to get the job done. Our girls' ministry is just not where it needs to be, and so we had to let so and so go. We're looking for somebody who can take us to the next level, and you're the one. And the crazy thing is, when I hung up the phone years ago, I think that I really thought I was the guy. I think there was a part of me that was like, "Yeah, I can do that. I can take it to the next level. That'll be me. I've I've got what it takes." Um, what does that even mean? I think the sessions and the, and the pastors who do that don't even know what that means, okay? I think they are ready to take somebody to the next level, and they, they don't like what's going on, or maybe somebody in their church doesn't like what's going on, and so they come up with this next level thing, and then they throw it out there, and they don't even know what they're talking about when they want to challenge us. I don't think that Paul was saying to Timothy, look, buddy, Ephesus, you got to go there and take it up to the next level. <laughs> Timothy, you're the next level guy. <laughs> I just don't think that's where he was going. I don't think that that is a biblical idea. I think that whole concept came from the business world, right? I think, well, lost a shoe there. I think it came from the business world, and we, the church, have adopted that model from, the, from the secular business, and said, we can do that, we can do that, we're gonna hire a go-getter. This department's not running well, and so let's find somebody who can make that department sing, right? And that's what they're after, and that's what they look for. So if I'm honest, though, there's a part of me that struggles with this idea and this idol of success in ministry. I definitely struggle. Have you ever been that guy in the back of the room you know, in a, even in a setting like this where somebody's up, maybe your worship team's doing something or somebody's playing a game and you're in the back walking around, getting ready to go up and teach and you start doing what? You start counting heads. How many are tonight? Where's so-and-so? Oh yeah, they got a baseball game. What? You know, and, uh, and you start asking the questions and they're going through your mind. Why don't we have more people here tonight? Why is it, oh, yeah, they're having a dance? You know, and if you can find a reason, you know, you're reaching out. So, oh, yeah, that school, bas- you know, baseball playoffs, that's what it is. And that's why, that's why our numbers are down. Because what's happening is the doubts are assailing me when that's going on. I start to say, why is attendance not good? Did I not do my job well enough? Did I not... Now, with our team, it's funny, we kind of have this little litany of things that I constantly take them through when we assess a program, right? We always say, we're going through it and saying, did I, was it a bad idea? You know, it's one of the things we're always like, was this just a bad concept of what we were trying to do? Or then we say, okay, maybe it was a good idea, but we didn't implement it well. Maybe that's it. Maybe it was a good idea that we poorly implemented. Or maybe our timing was just bad, right? Like you can have a great idea and implement it really well, but you did it on the night when two of your three high schools have their prom, right? I've done that, that's why I know that example, right? And then you're like, wow, six people came, I'm glad we invested $2,000 in that. Yeah, and you're like, this is horrible, failure, okay? So it can be a bad idea, it can be poorly implemented, it can be poorly timed, you know, and we, we run through these things over and over again with our team, and I'm running through that in my head, in the back of the room. Why is this not successful? Why? What is happening here? What is going on? Is it, is it one of these things? And those doubts start to assail me. Maybe I'm not a good leader. Maybe I'm not a good teacher. Maybe nobody comes to youth group because I'm just not very good. Maybe our worship team's not very good. Maybe it's not fun enough. Um, What is happening here? Uh, It's interesting, if you've read the book Sustainable Youth Ministry, um, which I told you I'm not a reader, but Matt is, and so he's the one who recommended it, and uh, I read it. (laughs) And it was excellent. I recommend it to all of you, Sustainable Youth Ministry. And one of the things that it says in there is that, you know, your church youth group is roughly 10% the size, I think I have that right, right? 10% the size of your church, you know, that you'll run in junior high and high school about 10% of what the church is running. Do you know how many youth groups grow independent of their church? Hardly any. Any? So if you are sitting there going, how come we're just not growing, is your church growing? Like if your church is growing like crazy and your youth group's not growing, okay, that might be something you should be concerned about. But if your church isn't growing at all and you're freaking out because your youth group's not growing, you shouldn't freak out. Like that's pretty normal that your church, if it's it's stagnant, your youth group's probably, because like on the junior high level, it, it makes total sense, doesn't it? The kids go where their parents drive them to. Right, If the parents are going there, they take the kids with them, in theory. Okay, So for you to grow independent of that, you have to be doing, I mean, the Lord has to be doing something amazing in your midst to see that kind of growth. Why do kids choose to go down the street instead of go here? Is it the programming? Is it the teaching? Uh, is it where their friends go? Is it where their parents go? And these questions go through your mind over and over and over again. And you constantly, if you're like me, I constantly think of these things, and that idol of success continues to pop up. And this is a normal feeling for me. Uh, If if ministry is going well, I feel like I feel like super youth guy, you know, with the cape flapping. I'm just like da da, you know. I feel like that. I'm the man. I'm the guy. Super youth guy because God is moving and working, and we had a huge outpouring at this event. And if things are not going well, I feel like poop, (laughs) okay? Quite honestly, I am discouraged. I can be depressed, and I think, wow, we poured so many resources. We did so much into this, and it is just, you know, a failure. And I hate it that I let how things are going affect how I feel. And I think the Bible has some things to say about that. We're going to stay in 1 Corinthians. I really felt Corinthians going on this week for some reason. Uh, We're in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, and this is one of my favorite passages, and I apologize to my staff because they probably heard me talk about this particular passage every two or three months. And they hear me talk about it all the time because it is constantly in my mind (laughs) Because when I go there in my idol of success and my idol of taking it to the next level, I have to remind myself of this passage. All right, the Lord's uh, word from 1 Corinthians chapter 3, Paul, again, speaking to the church of Corinth. And what was happening, the context for this is some of the guys at the church in Corinth were arguing and they were following different disciples of Paul. And some people were like, well, I'm a Paul disciple. And other people were like, well, I'm an Apollos disciple. And he kind of smacks them around a little bit in this letter. So he starts out by saying, where, what then is Apollos? Okay, he's one of the leaders they're following. What is Paul, but servants through whom you believed as the Lord has assigned to each? I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God, Who gives the growth? He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers, you are God's field, God's building. According to the grace that God has given me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation, and someone else is building on it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it, for no one can lay a foundation other than that which is already laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on that foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest for the day, that's the judgment day, will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test the sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on its foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself Will be saved, though as through the fire. I love the message of this passage, and it's something that I have to constantly remind myself of. The first point we get right there from uh, the, in verse five at the beginning. So he's saying, Paul is nobody, Paulus is nobody, we're just servants, and the Lord assigned us each our task. I mean, it's amazing as I've interacted with all of you from different churches, different places, even seeing some of you I've known for years, you're moving maybe from one area to another to take on a new place and start into a new field. And again, it's like the Lord is moving you around. He's assigning you where he wants you to go. And we each have a specific task that he wants us to accomplish. Um, We all have different talents, and we're assigned different tasks according to our talents. I want to remind us here of the parable of the talents, right? It's again one of those that I constantly think about. What happened in the parable of the talents? He had, remember, the, the, the master was leaving and going on a journey. He pulls three servants up. And to the first servant, he says, Here's my servant. I'm going to give you what? How many talents? Five. Okay? And the first servant, he gives five talents. And he pulls the next one up and he says, how many am I giving you? Do you remember? Two. I hope it was two. Um, and then the last one, he gives him one. And then he goes on the journey, right? And when he comes back, they come forward and, say, and he says, what did you do with what I gave you? And the first one's like, well, master, you gave me five. Here, I've, I've returned and five more. Right? And he's like, awesome. You've been faithful with a little bit. I'm going to put you in charge of much come into my blessing, right? And the one with two doubled it. And the one with one did what? He buried it and they didn't do anything with it. And so, but there's a principle that's here that you and I don't approach ministry on the same level, right? Some of us, he's assigned to a certain place. And there are people in this room that I've met that I'm like, holy cow, that person is so gifted. Like, it's amazing what the Lord has given them, okay? And there are other people, you know, or I compare myself and I think maybe I'm the two-talent guy, and I wish I was the five-talent person, and, but what's amazing is even as you're in ministry, as you and I are doing our thing, God rewards us, right? If you are faithful with a little bit, he gives you more experiences and more talent, and you even grow in your ability and your wisdom. Um, he, he's designed us even to be and reflect the prophet, priest, and king that God himself has, that Jesus had those offices, right? He was prophet, priest, and king. And you and I have those offices, okay? It's, uh, it's interesting to think about it in those terms. I had a pastor who taught me this years ago to say, what is, you have those three roles, but they're not all in the same level, okay? For example, I used to think I was prophet first. Oh yeah, man, I'm a teacher, right? I'm the guy I'm going to teach. Then I came here on staff, sat under David McNeely for a while as one of my staff members. And I was like, I suck. I'm horrible. I'm the worst teacher ever. Okay. Because I had to compare myself constantly to him. And I actually found out though, that I'm king first. I like to lead. I like to lead my team. I like to cast vision. I like to invest in them. I'm actually king, prophet, priest. I have very little priests unfortunately that's the shepherding aspect i do a pretty good job with my staff but in general i am like when someone's hurting i'm the guy who walks over and awkwardly like touches their shoulder like yeah it'll be better and then you know somebody else will come in and hug them and i'm just like good you know because i need someone around me who is priest first because i'm horrible at that i am not a good priest i need that Okay. But I like to lead and somebody else might be like, Oh, I'm kind of uncomfortable being up front. So think about what you are. Where are you in that, in that area of gifting and surround yourself with people who are better at that than you are. You know, I do that on my team, Jimmy Kim, who's our, he's our discipleship coordinator. Jimmy knows the name of everybody. He and Ashley are like the only two in our ministry. I can name up any person. They're like, Oh, yeah, that's, you know, he knows where they go to school. He knows what's going on in their life. And I'm like, how does he know all this? Because Jimmy has a high level of priest. You know, that is part of his gifting. And I need him uh, to help me in those areas. Um, So the Lord assigns each one of us the task that he's called us to do. Now, the second thing, and this is really the main meat of this when I think of my idol that I have of success is he says, I planted, Apollos watered, in verse 6, but who's the one who grows it? Who's the one who really gives the growth? God. He is the only one who can grow your ministry. And that is so hard for me to understand. I don't know why that's so hard for me to understand, but I keep thinking that it's formulaic. I keep thinking A plus B equals C. And we do that, and you can do that whether it's ministry with one person, or whether it's growing a group, or whether it's creating an amazing program, or whatever it is, we tend to want to think it's formulaic. And all you think when you take a new call is you go in there, and you just got to figure out the formula for that church, right? Oh, it was A plus B plus C is equals D at my last church. Now, this church is different. I just got to find the formula, and it's going to grow like crazy. I just have to figure that out. Or you can do that with a person you're investing in, right? You're like, oh, well, this person's not where they need to be, but if I do A plus B, then C's going to happen. And it doesn't work that way. Because you can plant and you can water, but who's the one that brings the growth? Only God. Only God is the one who can change a heart. Only God is the one who can grow a ministry. Only God is the one who can grow a church. And I have to constantly remind myself of that because I keep thinking that if I can just crack the code, it's going to happen. There is no code, okay? And that is the thing that I constantly have to die to. Now, sure, I don't want to say that if you don't do certain things, fruit won't happen. There will be fruit in the ministry, right? We know, and we can say, if I prepare and I pray and I plan, things are going to happen. If I recruit quality leaders and I train and equip them, ministry is going to happen, right? Uh, It will produce fruit. If I spend time shepherding and loving on parents and students, there will be a harvest. There will be some fruit. But I can do it all. And what the scripture says, even when you go to like to the parable of the sower, right? He says that some seed fell in great soil, but what was the result? Did it say, and everybody had 100% profit, 100% growth? No. He says, and there'll be growth, some 30, some 60, and some 100, right? Some of you may be in a field where you're experiencing 100%, and you're like, this is awesome. I mean, in and you, and, and your weaker moments, you're like, I'm awesome, right? This ministry's going great. Look at, look at how well we're doing. We've got the formula figured out. And some of you are like, man, we're only like 30% growth. And again, you can start to go, I am not awesome, I'm horrible. What am I doing? I can't figure this out. And we can't bring the growth. Um, This was never illustrated to me more clearly. When I went to University City Press in Charlotte, I I was in my third year of seminary. I wasn't looking to change jobs. And God, I was on 100% support. I kind of told you guys that story, I think, last night. And I was... Not looking for a job, I wanted to just stay where I was, do one more year of my internship, and and leave. And the Lord led me to this church, University City Press, and I I didn't plan on going there, but I suddenly I had a job, and I was like, I've got a whole another year of seminary. So they're like, well, you can do part time here and full time at school and finish it out. But we all know what that really means is full time school and full time seminary the last year. So. I'm trying to do all this and I, I told my senior pastor, I said, I am let me tell you what, I'm just gonna do the minimum. I mean, I'm gonna do youth group on Wednesday night, and I'm gonna do my Sunday morning thing, and then I'm gonna get through school and finish this up. And I can't wait till I graduate because then I'll really be able to focus on what's going on. Well, we went on our first summer camp. It was awesome. I started my job, like most of my jobs, like two week, two days before the summer camp, and then I load this van full of kids I don't know. And we took 11 kids in a 15-passenger van to Breakaway, right? Mark Long knows Breakaway well. Hilton Head Island. I knew Mark from my internship, and I'm like, we'll go to Breakaway. And we had a great time, fantastic week, got to know the kids. I thought, this is awesome. We get back from Breakaway, my 13 kids in my high school ministry, and two kids tell me the week we get back that they're moving to Georgia. Georgia. So already I was like, well, crap. My youth group just went from 12 to 9. And now I'm starting school. And here's the thing. God put a bringer in my group. Do you know what a bringer is? Do you have one of those students that is just super pumped and excited about what you're doing? And what she did, this girl, I was just, all I was doing was paying attention to kids, teaching, and trying to love on them. And this girl brings three of her friends. And they had a great time. And the next week, those three brought three more. And the next week, those brought three more. And we grew from nine to like 35 or 40 in the course of that fall. And everybody's freaking out. This is awesome. This is great. And I'm like, I don't even know why this is happening. It's just the Lord's doing it because I'm just doing the minimum. That's all I got to give. I've got the minimum to give, and that's what I'm doing. So, I'm doing the minimum, we're growing like crazy. I finally get through seminary, I get ordained, and I'm super excited, because now it has my full attention. What do you think happened when it had my full attention? It it completely bottomed out. No, it didn't bottom out, it didn't shrink, but it plateaued, it (laughs) quit growing. It totally stopped. We like leveled off. And I was like, okay, now that it has my full attention, we're just flatlined, you know, and I couldn't figure it out and it drove me crazy. And then I was under all this pressure from my pastor and I, you know, and I, and well, what happened to the next level? We were heading there and now it's, it's flattened out. And I think I had just about figured out where to go next in my a plus B equals C. Cause see, I was working on those formulas at night. That was keeping me up late, right? I was laying in bed going, I've got to figure this out. And I was trying to figure out the formula and I ended up leaving that church uh, and going to Florida before, and that was somebody else's problem after that. But my point, my point is, there wasn't a formula. God's the one who brought the growth when I was doing very little to accomplish that. And when it had my full attention and I was trying to figure out the formula, God quit growing it all together. It was almost like he was like, huh you think you're in charge? You think you're good? Let's just see how you do for a while. And it just... Stop. Some of you might be in that point. You might be at a place in your ministry where you're like, I don't really know what to do next. Remember, we're practicing youth ministry, and maybe you've, you have tried the, the low-dose antibiotic first, and they, you just did the z pack, and nothing's happening yet. And you're starting to worry that you don't know the answer of what's going to take it to the next level, and you don't. Because there's not a formula. The answer is Jesus, right? We talked about that last night. That's the only thing you have to give them. And sometimes, God, you know, you've got to just pray, and maybe you will have to reinvent something. Maybe you will make changes, and maybe, but I don't think that's necessarily the key. I mean, I do think we're constantly evolving, and God, uh, like a snake that grows, you may have to shed a skin and move to a different, uh, may look a little bit different than it did in order for you to reach that next level. And I don't know what makes churches like Perimeter grow to be 5,000. You and I know it's a lot more than preaching, right? There's structures in place. There's people in place. And God raises up these people who can put those in place. And it's amazing. And, and we don't know, have all the answers to that. But I know that if God's given us two talents, if we're faithful, right, he says he's gonna give us more. <laughs> he's gonna move us on uh, to that. Now it says the next thing, that he says in this passage is neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything. Um, God's the one who gives the growth, but neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything. God is going to reward each one of us according to our labor and gifting, right? We've already said we are not promised the same outcomes for our efforts. Some will get a, have a 60 fold, some a 30, some a hundred. And Maybe the person with the most talents has the greatest outcome, but it doesn't, it doesn't mean that. Um, when we're faithful with a little, he will reward us and put us in charge of much. It's interesting, each time I left a church, it was kind of funny, even uh, I left two churches in a row because of conflicts with senior pastor. I told you about one of them last night. And each time I left, I went to a bigger, more successful church. Cammy's mom, even one time on the phone, she was like, wow, he sure does fall up, doesn't he? Because it seemed like every time I fell on my face, I got a promotion and moved into a bigger uh, ministry context. And God has a way of doing that. Uh, he is doing something in us, even when we can't see what's going on. You are probably building on someone else's foundation. That's the next point that he says in this passage. He says, you are building on someone else's foundation because Paul had been there before Apollos, right? And he said, I laid a foundation, which is Christ, but somebody else is building on top of that. Um, You and I are building on someone else's. And this is hard sometimes. It's hard when you're leaving a place. Okay, some of you, like I said, I know so many of you are moving and you're starting into a new ministry area. And you have to say goodbye to all these people that you've invested in for a long time. And you're like, wow, I'm leaving this and I don't know what's gonna happen after I'm gone. And that's hard. Uh, it's really hard. Ecclesiastes talks about that, right? The king says, "There is a, I've seen a great evil, a great evil under the sun, that there will be, uh, I can see a king who raises up a great kingdom and as soon as he leaves, his son, who's an idiot, takes the throne. And what happens? Everything goes to pot, right? I don't think he said it exactly like me, but that's, that's kind of what he said is that you can build up a great kingdom and your son can come after you and run it into the ground. And that can happen with our little kingdoms, our youth ministries, right? We build it up and we think this is my ministry. This is going great. And then you leave and the guy comes after you and it just crashes and burns. All right. Somebody else is going to build on your foundation and you're going to build on somebody else's. And then it says, be careful how you build. Are you building with gold, silver, and precious jewels, or are you building with wood, hay, and stubble? How are you investing on that foundation that has been laid before you? I come here, and I stand on the shoulders of giants, all right? When I come in here, David Grant, you know, who's at his big church in in Texas, was here before me, and Matt Brinkley, you know? And I get to come in, and try to build on top of their foundation. I inherit their programs. I inherit Gold Rush. I inherit these things from them, and I just think, wow, just don't mess it up. All right? Don't run it into the ground. How can I not only take what they did, but make it better? How can I invest in these kids' lives and in these leaders' lives and try to make this something beautiful? And I don't, again, it's not formulaic. I don't have the answer. Only as I turn to God... Can he do that? But we are building on someone else's foundation. And in the end, God's going to test that work with fire. It says in the day of judgment, the people that we invest in, you and I won't be judged as a believer based on heaven or hell, but we will be judged based on reward on how we invested in the kingdom. And it says he'll test our work by fire. And our reward will come as a result of what burns up and what doesn't. And I praise God that he is grading to me according to like a handicap. You know, he's, he knows the gifts and abilities he's given you. Maybe he's given me two talents and he puts me in a field that has its own challenges. And he's really grading us on our faithfulness, not our success. He's saying, what did you do with what I gave you? It reminds me, years ago we had a golf tournament. Uh, I only get to play golf like once a year. I really enjoy golf. I'm horrible, okay? Uh, you know, I still have those moments where, you know, you swing the club and you're looking, you're like, where's my ball? Where's my ball? And then it's still on the ground. You know, I completely missed it and it's on the tee. And, but I went, and our staff, department heads used to take a, a trip every year and we would always play golf. And let me tell you, you think I played bad. Normally, the first time I did, I had to play in Randy's group, our senior pastor. It was even worse than normal because Randy's like excellent at all sports. And so kind of freaked me out. So they don't ever put me with Randy anymore, which is nice. But they figure out everybody's handicap, okay? And my handicap is like, I don't even know how they do that, but I think it was like 25. I don't know what that means. But it was like I was clearly the worst one. Like maybe there was 25 players. And so I think they subtract 25 from my score at the end, you know? And, and so what was hilarious was I actually shot that day with my group, really good for me. You know, I didn't shoot near, near as well as other people who were good at golf because I only play like once a year. But for me, I shot amazing. You know, I actually hit the ball sometimes and I hit some really long putts in. I got, I got lucky on one of those, you know, like from the edge of the green, you know, like 30 yards and it just like sunk. And so I won the tournament. Okay, Like, it was funny. At the end of it, they are like, all right. And the winner today was, Jeff. And I was like, there's no way I won. But because my handicap was so big, okay, that even though I shot like, like 102, they're like, wow, you usually shoot 115. But you shot 102, so you won because of your handicap. And I think God judges us that way in our faithfulness. I think that he says, you know what? Jeff, you are you know these are your challenges these are the things but you're faithful and so we're judging you based on that your handicap's pretty high and you're faithful with what you've done and therefore he rewards us in that way according to our faithfulness not according to success um so if we can't achieve success what does faithfulness look like i think that's the hardest thing is to go okay I can't be successful. I can't figure out the formula. So God, show me what is success. I'm going to do this really quick, and we're going to close here. I have three different passages for you. The first one is another one that I tell myself over and over and over and over and over. Matthew 6, and you guys will know it. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Seek first the kingdom and everything but ministry will be added unto you. Now, that's not what he says. He says if we seek first the kingdom, he takes care of everything else. And I remind myself of that when I think, am I being faithful? Wait, am I seeking first him and his glory and his, and his kingdom? Is that my goal? Is that my heart? Is that where I'm at? Yes. Okay. He says, he promises he's going to take care of the rest. The next passage, Joshua 1.8. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous and you will have good success. I want to be prosperous and successful. And if I want to be prosperous and successful, if I want to be faithful, what does faithfulness look like? I have to saturate my life with the word. I have to abide in him, right? He says, abide in me and you will bear much fruit. I think that's John 14. That's not in my notes. I made that one up. Um, (laughs) Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything. And then 1 Corinthians 9 says this. Do you not know that in a race all runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box like a man beating the air, but I discipline my body and I keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself will be disqualified. The two things I want to point out from this passage is he runs so that he can obtain the prize. I know that you guys are running. You are running hard, you are working hard. And he also says, I do not run aimlessly. We have a plan. You have a formula, right? You are thinking up, seeking the Lord, seeking a plan, and then you're going to run as hard as you can with that plan. And that's what we're called to do. That's what faithfulness looks like. It doesn't mean that it's a perfect plan. It doesn't mean that you can figure it out and it's going to be great, but you have a plan and you work it hard. And so to summarize faithfulness is seeking the kingdom saturating our life in the word and having a plan and running it hard. That's faithfulness. And if we do that, only God can make it grow. You and I don't have the power to do that. You know, Elijah was called to, he had a calling to success. And Do you remember how that worked out for him? He had a really great weekend event. You know, several thousand like Baal worshipers showed up. And it was just him on the other side. He was the guest speaker. And they cried out and cut themselves and all that, right? And fire fell down from heaven. And he had an amazing event, right? They killed all the Baal worshippers in one day. He really angered all the rulers. Jezebel was after him. He ran by the chariot. I mean, supernatural stuff. Fire from heaven, Running the same speed as horses. That was pretty awesome. But boy, did he fall hard after that, right? Just a few days later, he's in a cave, hiding out, wanting to die. And he feels like a failure. And he's like, God, this is what you called me to do, but this doesn't feel great. I had this huge success, and now I just want to die. And God said, well, let me define success for you. I have raised up 7,000 people in Israel who have not bent the knee to Baal who are faithful. You're not alone. I've raised them up. And that's what faithfulness looks like to me. And that had to be good enough for him. That's what he was called to do. That's his field. With his gifts and his abilities, that's what God called him to do. And so I want us to remember... And focus on the privilege that we have of living a life that touches on the eternal. Keep that in mind. You and I, when you're in the back of the room and you're counting heads and you're wondering, are you good at your job? Is this successful? Because sometimes this is hard. Is to say, I get to touch into and spend my time touching the eternal on a regular basis. That is a privilege. That's a beautiful thing that we get the opportunity to do on a regular basis. And that's what faithfulness looks like. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I confess that this is an idol for me. I want to measure up. I want to do well. I want to hear, well done, my good and faithful servant. But Lord, I also, I want my ministry to be successful. I want people to say, wow, that church has got it together. That's where you want to go because that's where things are happening. I want uh, people to greet me in the marketplace and honor me if I'm, if I'm right. being honest, Lord. And I pray that you forgive us for that and help us to constantly keep in mind that we may plant and we may water, but the only one that can really bring growth in our ministry is you. So thank you. Thank you for loving us. Thank you again for this community. And uh, thank you for, for worship. And thank you for the privilege of touching the eternal in our everyday work lives. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.